Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Malcolm Siegel Network. Also coming to you on Arutz Sheva, Israel National News slash radio around the world on the stream. And I want to welcome our first guest to the show for the first time. We have with us Ohio Treasurer Josh Mandel, also state chairman for the Marco Rubio campaign as we transition from Iowa, the Iowa caucuses, into primary, the primary of New Hampshire, first in the nation primary, and then beyond Nevada, South Carolina, the SEC primary. And as many of you know out there, I know the audience follows politics very, very closely, at least that's what I get from the feedback, is that we have a horse race, Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, the top three, and then a bunch of candidates below. Can Marco Rubio consolidate that establishment lane? And we're going to find out from Josh Mandel. Josh, welcome to Spin Class. Hey, Michael. Good to be on. Great. So let's talk Iowa for a second. As a Marco Rubio supporter, uh, many people, you know, almost as Marco Rubio, Senator Rubio gave a victory speech, even though he came in third. And then he picked up a whole bunch of endorsements, a key endorsement from Tim Scott, Senator in South Carolina, that'll help, as well uh, from Senator Santorum, who dropped out of the presidential race. So uh, how do you feel post-Iowa? I think uh, Marco has good momentum uh, coming out of Iowa. Uh, you know, our team uh, was very happy with our performance there. And, uh, you know, frankly, uh, I think a lot of the credit uh, goes to the uh, staff and team on the ground there in Iowa. We had a great uh, team. Our, our state chairman there, Jack Whitford, who's a state senator, did a terrific job. Uh, Clint Reed, who was the, the campaign manager for, Ohio, for Iowa, did a great job. And a bunch of volunteers and just grassroots conservative activists. And uh, we obviously also have the best player on the field. And I think that uh, speaks to a lot of why uh, we perform so well in Iowa uh, is because uh, Marco is, uh, as uh, Rush Limbaugh, I believe, uh, said in the past couple of days, he's a full-throated conservative. Uh, he uh, is a full-spectrum conservative. Uh, he also um, has just around him a, a good sense of positive energy. And I, I think while we have a great field and a very strong field of candidates um, this year, really an embarrassment of riches compared to the Democratic side, you know, I believe that uh, you know Marco is the one who can unite the party, uh, inspire the nation, and most importantly, uh, beat Hillary Clinton this fall. Where does Marco have to finish in New Hampshire? Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the expectations game, of course, and we, we all know we're in politics. We understand that expectations are everything. There's a lot, uh, as opposed to in Iowa, where there was not a lot of clutter, let's say, on the establishment side. And I know Marco is a, a, a diehard conservative. It's hard to always look at him. He was originally a Tea Party guy to look at him uh, solely as the establishment guy. But that's where we are. What do, what do we do about Kasich, about Bush, about Christie, from your point of view? What, where does he have to finish relative to them? Uh, I'm not sure there's a perfect answer to that. Um, you know, obviously, uh, our goal is to uh, finish as high as possible in, uh, in New Hampshire. But listen, this is a long road. Uh, you know, coming out, of, uh, coming out of Iowa, you know, first place took eight delegates. Uh, Marco uh, took seven delegates. And who knows what's going to happen in, in New Hampshire? Obviously, our goal uh, is to to win, and if uh, that does not happen, to a place as high as possible. But this is really uh, this is this is a long game. You know, we're going to be in this uh, for the long haul. 
Uh, and so uh, we think uh, Marco not only has staying power, but we believe that our campaign team has built uh, the best uh, grassroots conservative organization in the country to uh, perpetuate and sustain the campaign, uh, win it, uh, be nominated in uh, Cleveland uh, this summer, and then go on and beat Hillary Clinton in the fall. So Cleveland, your hometown city, uh, how much uh, how much local pride, how much is there for John Kasich in Ohio? Uh, where you know where does he fit as an Ohio guy? You've gone to Marco Rubio, obviously nothing wrong with that, but where does uh, hometown Governor John Kasich fit amongst the Ohio Republicans? Well, you know, by the time we get to the convention in, in Cleveland, uh, he won't be in the race anymore. Uh, so, you know, Marco is going to be the nominee. And, uh, you know, I believe that the entire Republican Party, all different factions, will coalesce behind uh, Marco as the nominee. And listen, they're not just going to coalesce around him um, slowly or begrudgingly or holding their nose. I think they're going to coalesce around Marco with great passion and fervor and motivation uh, to uh, launch out of the convention in Cleveland um, with great energy to beat Hillary uh, in uh, not only uh, the uh, traditional conservative states, but most importantly the swing states come this fall, Ohio, Virginia, Colorado, New Hampshire, Iowa, Florida, and many other swing states. I think Marco is the candidate on our side who can really put a lot of states in play that have not been in play uh, in the past. Um, we're talking Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and, uh, you know, I – I, I, being from Cleveland, which is a Democratic area, um, know a good amount of people who uh, um, are involved in Democratic politics. Uh, and what they tell me is that, um, that Marco is the candidate they're most scared of. Marco is the candidate Hillary's most scared of. Marco is the candidate that Bill is most scared of. And uh, I think it's legitimate. They should be worried about Marco um, because he's the one who I believe more so than anyone on our side and, frankly, on their side, can uh, connect with, at an emotional level, young people, Latino voters, uh, single parents, uh, next-generation voters, military veterans, uh, blue-collar Reagan Democrats, and just a swath of voters in, uh, in Ohio and across America, uh, many of whom uh, throughout uh, the past decade have felt just uh, cynical about the democratic system. I think Marco can uh, inspire them once again to believe in our system uh, and to uh, and to really believe in the concept of American exceptionalism. Well, no shortage of cynicism out there, particularly on politics these days. Uh, one storyline of the race is, has been the kind of micro race or the rivalry between Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio. Uh, Bush's super PAC has spent uh, an enormous amount of money attacking Rubio. There is some fear that that is going to continue potentially even past, you know, where it's productive for the Bush campaign. Uh, where, you know, from your point of view, from the campaign's point of view, how nervous are you are that, that he continues to unleash that $50 million? I mean, has it worked so far? But, you know, the, eventually, as we saw back in 2012, the Gingrich onslaught of, of money against Mitt Romney was damaging. Listen, Anisa campaigns, you can control what you can control. Uh, and so, you know, Marco uh, can control continuing to work his butt off, which he's doing. Um, you know, I, he's uh, putting in an incredible amount of sweat and time. Our team can control uh, not only working hard, but also working smart and being strategic. 
and you know we can uh, control to the extent possible inspiring a grassroots organization throughout Ohio and throughout the country to come out uh, to knock on doors from Marco and make phone calls and do those kind of things. One of the things we can't control, though, is uh, the other campaign teams and how they spend their money and how their super PACs spend money. And it's just it, it's something that's just not in our control. And so I think the best recipe for, uh, you know, for, for stopping what you're talking about is just winning, uh, is continuing to perform well, is uh, continuing to inspire the conservative base. And uh, I think over time, as we saw over the past couple of days with Senator Paul dropping out and Senator Santorum dropping out, you're going to see others uh, drop out and coalesce behind uh, Marco's candidacy. You know, we were glad to see Senator Santorum get behind uh, Marco yesterday. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Senator Scott from South Carolina recently uh, endorsed him. Senator Toomey from uh, Pennsylvania. And listen, uh, you know, these guys, they're not just uh, any senators. You know, you think of Senator Toomey, you think of uh, Senator Scott. Um, these are conservatives. Uh, these are folks who in the past have been uh, um, backed by groups like the Club for Growth, by the Senate Conservatives Fund. Um, these are folks who understand uh, and embrace and advance the concept of constitutional conservative, conservatism, uh, embrace the concept that when government is big, Unfortunately, the people are small, but when we can make government small, we can make the people big. And a lot of the people that are getting behind our cause, our Marco Rubio movement, are people that uh, understand and appreciate uh, that concept, uh, that concept that our founding fathers understood and really they, uh, they used to, uh, to, f- to found the, the, this, this Constitution and also our country. So we're talking to Josh Mandel, state treasurer of Ohio, chairman of the Marco Rubio campaign in the state of Ohio here on Spin Class, sponsored by the S4 Group. Uh, Sign up for the weekly email at s4grp.com. Josh, let's talk for a second about Jewish outreach. Obviously, you're heavily involved in Rubio's Jewish outreach. I know that he has been – it's kind of been a two-man – as of late, that is – you know, two-man race for Jewish Republican money or maybe even some Jewish non-Republican money, uh, a lot of it going to Cruz and Rubio. Uh, Bush has kind of faded in the fundraising race. How are you finding the support amongst the Jewish community for Marco Rubio? It's strong for Marco. I mean, uh, Marco uh, wears his pro-Israel policy on his sleeve. Um, he also has just been described by many people as a, a Zionist. And I think Marco not, un- not only understands you know, what Harry Truman uh, articulately communicated, that Israel is democracy's outpost in the Middle East, uh, but he also understands that uh, Israel is America's best friend in the Middle East and really our only true friend in the Middle East. Uh, and so if you go, uh, go, on, go on YouTube and you watch some of uh, Marco's speeches on the floor of the Senate in respect to the U.S.-Israel relationship, uh, in respect to uh, the fight against radical Islam, uh, they sort of uh, speak for speak for themselves, and I think it's his policies, his positions, his record uh, on these issues uh, that uh, you know that have really come to attract a lot of support in the Jewish community. Uh, he's also not uh, afraid uh, to be uh, a man of faith and to uh, express that faith, and I think uh, a lot of people, especially in the firm community, uh, appreciate that. And uh, while you know Marco has been able to generate support uh, across the spectrum in the Jewish community. Um, at our fundraising events and at our rallies, we're definitely seeing a lot of people come out in the uh, in the Orthodox community. 
Maybe just as we close off the segment, I know time is short as always. Uh, can you talk for a second of what you see? And I know you've been involved in the in in Jewish Republican politics over the past years, running for office yourself, uh, using that as a base of support. And you know the whole adage about Jewish Republican being an anomaly. I leave that aside. But talk for a second about how you feel the uh, what you see on the ground, what you've seen over over time as far as Jews getting more involved in Republican politics or swinging towards the Republicans. Is that really true? Is it really happening? Because, you know, the evidence shows that Jews still vote overwhelmingly for Democrats for president. I feel that it's happening slowly. I don't think it's happening uh, overnight. But, um, you know, as, as Reagan you know, once said, you know, he didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party uh, left him. I, I think a lot of people... Um, who are Jewish Democrats or who've been Jewish Democrats in the past feel that same feel that same way that the uh, the party is, is leaving them. And listen, uh, you know, uh, a good friend of mine is uh, Nick Muzzin, and I know you mentioned you're going to have Nick on the uh, on, on the show. He's Great a guy. terrific guy, and he really understands this concept as well. And it's a good question to ask Nick because uh, while I've been in very involved very, very very involved with it, I'd say over the past decade plus, you know, he's even been more involved with it on the front lines and. Uh, um, you know, he he has a good appreciation, I think, of how successful as a Republican Party we're being uh, in terms of uh, you know attracting more and more Jewish Democrats to uh, to see the light and understand that their party, um, you know, a lot of the leaders in their party are just not friendly to the U.S.-Israel relationship, and uh, um, a lot of them are are, are flat out antagonistic. Uh, and so, um, you know, I think we're very fortunate within the Republican Party to have people like Nick Muzzin, to have people like, you know, Matt Brooks in charge of the RJC, to have people like Alex Siegel, who's the new executive director of the RJC, to have folks like this who uh, not only understand the concept, um, but are really being, are, are willing to be on the, the front lines um, to uh, speak at shuls, to speak at community events, to speak at day schools, and to, uh, you know, really make the cause for, conservatism in the uh you know in the in the jewish community so listen it's it's going to be a a call um but uh, i believe over time that uh we'll attract more and more jewish democrats over to our side okay great josh mandel straight treasurer of the state of Ohio, as well as Marco Rubio campaign chair for the state of Ohio, prominent Jewish Republican. Thanks for joining us here on Spin Class. Any parting trash talk words for Nick Muzzin? Uh, I have only good things to say about Nick. I mean, uh, uh, I tried. With, uh, I tried. Guy and uh, um, look forward to uh, having some uh, cold beverages with him uh, whenever we see each other next. He's a, he's a really good person, and we're, we're fortunate to have him not only uh, in the Republican Party, but really, frankly, more importantly, um, within our community. And, um, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, um, you know, we, and I say we, the collective, we can inspire a next generation of uh, Nick Muzzin, you know, younger folks who are interested in politics to come up behind us um, because uh, that's the only way we're going to take the numbers within the Jewish community to be more Republican uh, is to have ambassadors uh, within the community. Thank you very much, Josh. I really appreciate it. We'll have you again in the near future as the campaign progresses. Uh, you take care, Michael.
And this is Spin Class, and I want to welcome to the program old friend as uh, he got an introduction from Josh Mandel, so I'm not sure I need to introduce Nick Muzzin. Nick Muzzin is a senior advisor, deputy chief of staff to Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, uh, intimately involved and has propelled uh, Ted Cruz to front runnerdom in the Republican primary of 2016. Nick, welcome to Spin Class. Thank you, Michael. It's great to talk to you. So I, I, I hope you heard that really nice, all those accolades from Josh Mandel. I don't have to say anything nice about you at this point because your ego's, you know, probably flying up there. Thank but let's, you, thank let's, you. And, and the feeling's mutual. I mean, Josh is a, an amazing role model uh, for so many of us. Um, what he's done in Ohio is just incredible, and I know we all expect only, you know, even greater things from him in the years to come, and, and we'll be there to support him. Okay, I'll make sure he gets that. I think he might be off the line by now. But uh, let's talk Turkey. Let's talk Ted Cruz. Let's talk Iowa. Big victory, uh, even though, you know, the Donald uh, seems to be uh, challenging it. You know, maybe he'll go to court. Maybe he won't. But we move on. I mean, Iowa isn't happening again. We move on to New Hampshire, a state seen as less suited or less well suited to Ted Cruz's brand of conservatism. How do you think your chances are in New Hampshire? How do you think you're going to do? And then we'll talk beyond that. Well, I think we're going to do well. Um, we have a good ground game in New Hampshire. Obviously, the expectations there are not as high for us um, as they were in Iowa. But uh, New Hampshire, you know, has a very strong libertarian streak. Uh, and now with Rand Paul out of the race, and, you know, even before he got out of the race, we've seen a consolidation of a lot of that support. A lot of the Tea Party voters, um, there are less, you know, social conservative voters in New Hampshire obviously, but um, I think with the, the moderate wing of the party sort of in this circular firing squad, you know, you have Marco there, Jeb, Kasich, Chris Christie, all sort of making their last stand in New Hampshire. I think they're going to divide a good bit of that vote, um, and I think we'll do better than, uh, than you expect us to do. Yeah, so certainly the, there, there is that competition on the establishment lane, mm -hmm. What do you guys do in your lane? Let's just assume that Donald Trump is in your lane. What do you do about a problem like a political problem like the Donald? Well, Donald, you know, we've been we've been grappling with him for the last few weeks. I think the voters of Iowa sort of decisively answered that question um, as to who they trust to be the conservative standard bearer. Who who do they really believe means what they say and has a record of fighting for conservative causes? And Mr. Trump, while you know, very talented businessman and a great entertainer, just doesn't have that record of of uh, fighting for the cause. Certainly. And let's talk for a second right now about and I, I know that you guys are running the anti-establishment uh, platform and, you know, it's working. But let's talk for a second about endorsements. Uh, a number of prominent uh, senators, including your home, well, former home state Senator Tim Scott has gone towards Marco Rubio. Pat Toomey, uh, Senator, former Senator Santorum dropped out and endorsed Marco Rubio. Uh, eventually, the, the Republican Party has long been the party that nominates the next in line or the establishment type candidate, even at times when it seems that that's not going to happen. Eventually, they kind of coalesce around that person. Uh, how does the Cruz campaign make sure that Ted Cruz is the one there if all these establishment people or the, some of you know some of your Senate colleagues or some of his Senate colleagues, I should say, are gravitating towards another candidate? 
Well, I think, I mean, first of all, we have a lot of endorsements from House members. Uh, we're up to about 20, the latest count of House members that have endorsed us who, because they've seen Ted fight with them over the last few years on all the major issues that conservatives care about, on immigration, on health care, on stopping the Iran deal. Ted has often been the lone voice in the Senate trying to push forward on those issues. So he's got a lot of support. I mean, this is never going to boil down to a contest of who has more D.C. endorsements. I mean, you know, Rubio can have that title of being the pick of the D.C. establishment. We believe that this is just such a year where the voters are saying Washington is not working, the Washington cartel is broken, and it's harming everyday Americans, and we need somebody who's not afraid to go to Washington, ruffle some feathers, and change things. But and, some of uh, these Senator guys, Cruz particularly, the and Kennedy. I don't want to harp on Tim Scott for a second, but you know, he was considered to be close with Cruz, a close colleague. Is there a sense of, I mean, are... Is your strategy saying we're not going to solicit these endorsements and and there could be a strategy in that? I get that, um, you know, because of it. Or it's just saying, okay, if the endorsements happen, they don't happen while the other candidates are courting them and therefore they have an edge on getting them. And I'm just, you know, from that perspective, are you guys saying, okay, you know, we're, we don't want these endorsements. We're not looking for that establishment credit. Well, I mean, look, we're, we're looking to unify the party, and we're looking for support any way we can get it. Um, Senator Scott is a, a personal friend of mine. He was my mentor. He's um, how I got my start in politics. And obviously I would have liked him to endorse Senator Cruz, but, you know, respect the decision he made. Uh, each senator will have to make a decision on, you know, what, what they think they want to do. And there are a lot of personal relationships involved uh, in these decisions. But I think if, you know, we, we have not set out to try to consolidate Washington support. We're trying to consolidate conservative support from different factions of the party, from the people that care about foreign policy to the libertarians to the social conservative voters. We're trying to consolidate the conservative base of the party, win the nomination, and, and, and reach out to the rest of the country as to why our policies are the right uh, course for the future. And this is Spin Class. We're talking to Nick Buzzin, Deputy Chief of Staff to Texas Senator Ted Cruz uh, as well. I'd say actually as a, in my mind, a true Renaissance man, doctor, lawyer, has done pretty much anything out there, including now being a senior Washington official. Uh, jo Josh Mandel identified you, Nick, as a person who can attract Republican uh, – attracts Jews to the Republican Party. Sorry about that. Uh just talk for a second personally about that mantle. Uh, is that you know, and how that's going, if you will? Well, uh, we've we've made tremendous inroads in the Jewish community. I think you've seen in the last few years the numbers um, of of Jews, and particularly in the Orthodox community, which is my community. Uh, now, you know, as many as ninety percent voted for Mitt Romney uh, four years ago. So I think, and, and you know, Josh has been a big part of that as well um, with his tremendous work in Ohio. Uh, but I think. Jews who are looking, you know, it comes down to do, do they care more about Israel or about abortion and gay rights and what really motivates them. And I think we've seen, especially in the Orthodox community, um, when you look at Israel and, you know, Iran acquiring a, nu acquiring a nuclear weapon, um, and that that vastly overrides, you know, how you feel about some of the social issues. Sure. And you have been credited with a tremendous amount of fundraising for Senator Cruz in the Jewish community. You want to talk about the reception there and how you guys are doing vis-a-vis uh, -vis the money race, which is really important. I mean, you guys have amassed a tremendous uh, cash, both on the super PAC side, but as well as uh, hard money. 
Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, our campaign now has over $19 million cash on hand, which is almost double what any other campaign has. Uh, And, you know, when we started this race, people thought, you know, Jeb would raise a ton of money. Marco would raise a ton of money, but and, and people thought that Senator Cruz would have sort of a narrow appeal to some you know segments of the party, but wouldn't be able to raise the amounts of money we have. I mean, we you know we've raised over fifty million dollars in this campaign, not to mention what the super PACs have done, which is just you know uh, mind-boggling. Um, and the and the reason we've done it, we've we've had tremendous success in the Jewish community. A lot of the donors, you know, in New York, in California, in Florida, have been very generous, and that's because they're primarily motivated on foreign policy issues, and they believe that Senator Cruz is somebody who will do what he says he's going to do. He'll stand unapologetically with Israel. He'll destroy ISIS. He'll prevent Iran from acquiring a nuclear weapon. And, and you know, he said that on his first day in office, he will move the, Isra- the U.S. embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. Um, and, and people, you know, a lot of candidates promise nice things on the campaign trail, but when you look at who has the record of fighting against the tide and actually getting things done, Senator Cruz is the one who stands out. And so a lot of donors have said, you know, this is the guy, and, you know, if we decide to get behind him, we could, we could put, put him in the White House. I have to say, and we're talking to Nick Muzzin, Deputy Chief of Staff for Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, right now leading the Republican presidential nomination of 2016. Uh, I have to say that one moment that sticks out politically for me so much, and you got to give Senator Cruz credit, was when he spoke uh, recently, actually a couple months ago, might even be longer than that, to a group of Christian uh, Arabs or Middle East Christians here in here in the United States, and they started booing him with regard to Israel and his, I think, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong, his remarks were, if you will not stand with Israel, I will not stand with you. And uh, that those words continue to resonate with me uh, tremendously. I mean, it, it's really a great, it's really an incredible line. Thank you. Yeah, no, that, that was a great day. That was actually in September of 2014. Um, he was uh, giving the keynote remarks for an organization called In Defense of Christians. The goal of that organization was to bring attention to the plight of Christians who are being beheaded in the Middle East uh, for their Christian beliefs. And it's something, you know, as a devout Christian, Senator Cruz felt very strongly that he should speak up on behalf of Christians in the Middle East. And then the day of the dinner, while the conference was going on, we got reports that there were some pro-Assad and pro-Hezbollah people that were in, that, in the audience, some of the speakers and some of the people in the audience. And we grappled all day back and forth with, should he go? Should he cancel his remarks? And in the end, you know, he said, I'm just going to go and speak the truth. And he got up there and he said, look, Christians have no better ally in the Middle East than the state of Israel. And if you hate Jews, you're not following the teachings of Christ. And he began to say these things, and the audience started booing and catcalling. And finally, he just said, look, if you won't stand with the Jewish people in Israel, then I won't stand with you. And he walked off the stage, and that was a, you know, a moment that uh, we were very proud of. Well, really incredible moments. I actually want to leave it there because you can't get any better than, than you know, talking about that moment. It's unbelievable for a politician of any stripe, whether you support Senator Cruz or not for president – uh, you have to admire his political fortitude because there are very few politicians that I know that I've come across that would do such a thing, that would have take a, such a strong stand in a public forum like that. Nick Buzzin from the Cruz campaign or Senator Cruz's deputy chief of staff, uh, great job so far. Hopefully we'll have you again as, as we progress in this uh, really incredibly um, – 
I don't want to say, well, I'll say carnival-like race. At least it has been to a certain certain degree so far. But things are certainly going to change as we actually actual votes are taking place. Thank you, Michael. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Fantastic. This is Spin Class, sponsored by the S4 Group. And I uh, can't not mention the tie, if you will, on the Democratic side. Yes, they said that Hillary Clinton won the Iowa caucuses by 0.02%. But let's also remember that in order to break ties, they flip coins in the Democratic primary rules. So they flipped some coins and Hillary won another four delegates. Uh, you know, it's a tie. I mean, when you think about it, Hillary has got to be amongst the worst politicians in history in the fact that, you know, she is twice now the inevitable candidate and twice now she has not been able to pull off a, despite huge establishment support, to pull off a win in Iowa uh, despite, of course, Mayor Bill de Blasio going there to uh, campaign for her. The other big story is Chris Christie, uh, zero delegates. He say he didn't invest any time in Iowa, but he did. Uh, in fact, he had Governor Branstad kind of tacitly helping him. Zero delegates. Uh, and really, uh, you know, considering where he was and considering where he was coming from, that's a big defeat. Rand Paul doesn't catch on at all. Uh, and really just goes down, and Ben Carson uh, really has declined tremendously. Let's see what happens in New Hampshire. Tune in next week for another episode of Spin Class as we take you through the Republican presidential primary season and beyond here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks. (laughs) 